How are we doing? Okay, just want to say if we're awake here, I want to welcome those of you guys who are online as we continue our relationship series where we are looking at what's called the Relationship Attachment Model, or for short, RAM. This model, it was developed by uh, Dr. John Van Epp, and some of you may not be aware that not only has he supplied us with our biblically-based curriculum, but also he has written two different books that even go deeper than what the way, the, the, with the time allowed that we're able to go with. And uh, one is for married folks called Becoming Better Together, and the other is for those who are single called How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk or a Jerkette. And so uh, both, I think, appropriate and uh, helpful as we continue on this series. Now, as we've talked about, there's a core verse, you know, for this series, and it comes from Philippians, you know, chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's what we're looking at. And so what we believe is that God is the one who created and designed relationships, and if he's created and designed it, then isn't it best if we do it his way? So we're excited that you are here at church or you're watching online, but we know what's even better is if you invite Christ into your heart to help you connect with him and others in the way that he's designed. Now last week, in case you missed it, we talked about the first one of this series called Know to Know, understanding that if we know a person and grow in our knowledge of that person experientially and otherwise, we're supposed, we will then begin to trust them more, you'll begin to rely on them more, you'll commit, you know, go through commitment, and there's an appropriate level of touch as it pertains to all relationships that we have. The problem that we find ourselves in, though, especially in our culture, is uh, we, we, we may sacrifice one or the other. Now, the most important one is to know. If you don't get no right, then the other ones can really uh, be a situation where you're going to be hamstrung. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, you may not know someone really well, and you kind of meet them as a friend. And that friend seems very friendly and very nice, and they have this business model, this plan that they would love to share with you that if you invite three other people to join you in this business model and so you get excited because who doesn't want to get rich quick and so you're like you know what I'm going to trust this person because they seem like they're a nice person they come across like they're a great person and I'm going to start giving them my finances I'm going to rely and I'm in a committed you know a relationship with this person based on these finances only to find out a few months later that not only could you not find three other people to join this incredible business venture you know that you're on but this your money that you gave has now been ruined which why because you didn't take time to get to know the person at the level in which you needed to know them in order to adequately trust them which in order to rely on them and then the commitment and then the touch Okay, that's what we're going through when it comes to all relationships. And we have a tendency, based on our microwave society, to want to speed up the process. And whenever we do, more often than not, we find ourselves more hurt in the long run. Because God wired and designed us to experience relationships this way. He's not trying to hold us back. He's trying to help us when it comes to this. So this week, we're going to focus on this one. We're going to be focusing on trust. Now, here's what we know. All of us have trust issues. All of us have trust issues. Uh, let me tell you why some of us have trust issues. Uh, how many of you have ever been on a sports team or been to Zumba or been at a workout place or a gym or some sort of CrossFit program where there's a trainer involved? Raise your hand. Been involved in one of those things? Okay, so you know 
that someone at some point is yelling at you to keep going. Now, supposedly, it's supposed to be encouraging and all that kind of stuff, but these trainers or coaches or Zumba instructors once say this phrase. They love to say this phrase. All right, guys, last one. And they're liars. (laughs) And all of us have not trusted these people ever since. This last one. Now, some of you could probably also say, well, it also applies to pastors who say, just one more quick thing before we close and go on another 15 minutes. So I understand. I can relate with you. Now, developmentally, here's what we know. The ability to trust or mistrust happens in the first two years of life, which is why attachment disorders can be such a permanent issue that someone can deal with early on in life. And if we do have good bonding and connecting trust moments in our life, uh, there are two reasons that uh, we have a tendency not to trust others. The first is I don't know them. The second is, I wonder if you can guess, I do know them. Okay, so one is I don't know them, which leads to trust issues. Uh, The other is I actually do know them, which is what leads to trust issues. It's the pain of relationships. It's the pain of betrayal. People have lied to us. It's our news media. I don't care whether it's Fox News or CNN. They're always leaving out information that creates a lack of trust. We see it all around us. Who can be trusted? We've been failed over and over and over again. And these are just some of the reasons that we have a tendency not to trust others. But we need to back up for a second. We need to define what in the world are we talking about? What does it mean to trust? Because one of the biggest questions that we've gotten from the series already, even though we're not there yet, is we're like, what's the difference between trust and rely? Aren't those two the same things? They're not. So as we're defining this, trust is a feeling of security, confidence that is generated from what you think or believe about God or another person. So what that means is that there is areas that we actually do not know about someone, okay? So there's things that we don't know. It's not up here. There's areas that we don't know. And so our trust level is down here. And as it begins to go up, we in our minds fill in the gaps as we're on the no journey, okay? So we're filling in the gaps, you know, like any associations or ideals or any stereotypes. For example, I am one of your pastors, So what you know and how much you know about me, how much you know about me, leads to a certain level of trust that you have in me. Now, many of you see me on the weekends. You've heard me preach, and most of our interactions have been mostly friendly, except for certain people like Brad Pesnell, but that's a whole different conversation. (laughs) Okay, so maybe you have trust in me that is greater than what you know because what you know or perceive or have an understanding or even a background of a pastor or a position is actually positive. So we fill in the blanks. Although you don't know me personally, although we've not spent major amounts of time together, your knowledge of of what it means to be a pastor, what you've seen or talked to others as it pertains to me, gives you some confidence to be able to trust me. And you know it's vice versa, especially when it comes to pastors. How often have I talked to non-Christians who said, I don't go to church anymore, I used to, but that pastor did this or that. So when they're coming to the church, or if they were to see me, their trust of me is not here, their trust of me is there. And they have the exact same knowledge and experience of knowing as you do. And so we have a tendency to fill in the gaps 
based on our understanding of a person. Let me apply this to dating for just a second. Uh, um, just a few encounters that you might have with another person. And let's say that those encounters are positive. So, so you begin to trust them and you begin to form in your mind that the person that you've gone on a few dates with can easily become someone where you begin to project your ideals or assumptions based on what you think you know about that person. And as time continues, here's the reality of those of you who've gone down the dating row, you know that the greater opportunities over time that you begin to know this person, this can go up or down. Even though it may have started higher because it was here, you've had good interactions, you didn't, know, you didn't trust them, but you're like, you know what? I'm gonna start filling in the gaps here, so I'm gonna trust them a little bit more. But as you get to know them, you're like, ooh, this is either gonna go up here or uh-oh, I should uh, maybe not trust them as much. So we create these things in our minds. And I'm gonna talk more about how that works in marriage in just a second. Now, what's the difference, though, between trust and rely? Again, trust is this feeling of security, confidence that is generated by what you think or believe about God or another person. To rely is about meeting needs and wants of a person that produce feelings of fulfillment. So biblically, you might notice in our English uh, translations, you might see the word trust or entrust. Well, one of the best verses to kind of flush this out is Psalms 43 verse 8. This says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For now I entrust or rely my life upon you. Okay, the simplest way that I can say this, it's a difference between trusting what you know and putting your knowledge into practice, which actually is a proof of reliance. The simplest way I can say it is that I trust when I leave that my car is going to start. My reliance on that car starting is actually putting the key in the ignition and turning. See the difference? See, one is a trust based on knowledge. It's a good feeling. It could be based on past experience, understanding, but to rely actually is to put that into action. So for example, one last one. I trust the Seahawks. I trust that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are gonna figure this freaking thing out. They're gonna take care of business. But I am not betting money on the game because that would me be relying on what's going to take place. I am not ready to rely on what I trust is going to happen. Now, unlike Brad Pesnell, who believes in the Cowboys, you know, and he trusts and he relies and he is committed. And I have no idea how this applies, you know, but <laughs> Brad thinks they're going to the Super Bowl and, you know, he just he's got some things to learn. So when it comes to trust, there are three questions we want to address today. First, how do you build trust? How do we build trust in these relationships? Second, how do you sustain trust once it's built? And finally, how do you rebuild trust when it has been broken? So those are the three we're gonna kind of dive in. So let's start with the first one. How do we build trust with God and others? Let's start with this. Can you identify what makes a person or God trustworthy? So here's what I want you to do. Um, if you're watching online, just put that answer in the chat. What makes a person trustworthy? If you're in the auditorium, turn, turn to a person next to you and answer the question, what do you believe makes a person trustworthy? Go ahead and answer that now. I'll give you about 15, 20 seconds. Go.
All right, hopefully you put some of that in the chat. And uh, let's get some live answers. Somebody uh, from this section. What's one thing? Integrity, honesty. What about this section? What's that? Selfless, authentic. Okay, somebody from this section. Oh, I've given you the most time. What? Their actions. Okay, there's, there's many things, but you've got to know, if you're looking for how, who, who should I trust, you better know what the target is. What does it look like? You know, words and actions that match, heart that is good, level of honesty and transparency, how they talk to others, look at their family, how they celebrate or enjoy something, humility, and it goes on and on and on. But here's the first, maybe the most important question. Are you trustworthy? See, oftentimes we look in relationships and we look and we analyze what other people are not doing or should be doing in their lives and we don't stop long enough to look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, am I that person? Am I trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? If you're not sure, get brave and ask the people around you. And we have counselors that are ready to meet with you this week. So, so let's start with others, okay? Again and again and again, don't exceed your level of trust beyond what you know. So the first way to build trust with others is to learn by listening and watching. Learn by listening and watching. Are they trustworthy with their words? Have you ever been around <laughs> someone who just feels like they're always upselling something? They're always over-exaggerating, you know, a lot of stories to try to convince you over and over. Tell, trust me, trust me, this is legit. You gotta trust me. Uh, I swear in my mom, you know, all those kinds of languages like that. You know, that should be like one of those red flags, like if you have to go to that extent, which is why Matthew chapter five, verse 37 says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one, okay? So probably a flag that should go up. Are they promise makers or promise keepers? You can see that if you're listening and watching. Proverbs 29, 14 says, like clouds with wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Oh, it's gonna rain, it's gonna rain, it's gonna rain, and it never rains, just like a person who promises but never follows through on their promise. See, if there's a person in your life that's always saying and not doing, you already have your answer about whether or not they're trustworthy. It's a red flag, and by the way, red flags are easier for us to spot in other people than they are in our own relationships, aren't they? You ever see how obvious it is? I mean, you look at somebody else in their friendship or their dating relationship, you're like, what is wrong with you? Can't you see this person is not trustworthy? And that new girl who's got this new boyfriend says, he's so wonderful. He even broke out of parole just to come and see me. <laughs> and you're like, red flag, red flag, come on. But love is blind, which is why we need people in our lives who can help us see the red flags for us. Do you have other people that can help point things out, not because of any other reason, but because they love you? Listen, if you're dating someone and they keep saying one thing and doing another, that's an issue. And it shows that there are deeper spiritual issues that are gonna cause problems down the road if you continue in that relationship. So don't go down the romance road with them. Put them in the friend zone. You ever been put in the friend zone before? might give you, I'm just saying. The second way that we build trust with others is to take a small step of trust. You don't have to go from here to here. All you can, you can begin to do is you get to know them as this begins to rise, have this begin to rise with it over time. This doesn't need to happen so fast. It's like a muscle memory, you know, of rhythm. 
It's like going to the gym the first time. First time. Don't try to go and, and get yourself into shape in one outing. That makes no sense. It hurts you. It doesn't make any sense. Little by little. In fact, one of the greatest things that I learned was at a conference called Ultimate Leadership. It was in Southern California. And we got a chance to learn about how to relate and how to know if someone is trustworthy. How do we know we can begin to trust and then rely and then move on through that, just even on a friendship level? And uh, Dr. Townsend, you know, was leading this, and he said this, which I thought was brilliant. He goes, you want to know if someone is trustworthy? Throw out a little bit of vulnerability and see if they bite. Consider it a date with a friend, a boss, a coworker, a neighbor, anyone. You throw it out there, and you reveal something about yourself. And if that person leans in, if they ask a question, if they take interest, you've taken a little step in vulnerability and they have responded, which is a step of trust. If they change the subject or make it all about them, that could also be a little warning to be able to say, you know what? I can be very friendly with these people and not be in trustful relationships with these people. Does that make sense? We can be friendly with a lot of people without entering into the trust factor of these kinds of relationships. The third way we build trust with others is don't be offended by truth. Don't be offended by truth. See, Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. See, people who can be trusted will also be the very ones that will drive you crazy. This is where married people say amen, okay? The people that you can trust the most will often be the ones that drive you the most crazy because the people that you trust with the most are the ones who are willing to give and receive loving truth with one another. If you have a relationship that is only positive and flowers and you're the best all the time, that's not called a friend, it's called a fan, okay? There's a big difference between the two. And you want to make sure you're going to have friends and deep relationships with people. You need to surround yourself with people that you can begin to go on this journey with. So do you have those people in your life that you can trust? Now, how do we do this when it comes to our relationship with God? What does it look like? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is my life verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will show you which path to take. See, once you know and trust his word, you and I will have a chance to rely on it, which is something we're gonna talk about next week. But here's what you start with. Check with what we know about God or what we think we know about God versus who God really is according to his word. We have to watch and listen. I don't know how often you've looked into the Bible and realize it is not easy to allow the Bible to read you. See, there's ideas of the God that you and I would like him to be, and then there's the reality of who he really is. And will we, as we get to know who the real God and who the King of kings and Lord of lords is, will we begin to trust his words? See, that's the first step, is to put in our trust and our belief in him, and then we begin to go into actions and rely on him, which we'll hit a lot next week, because sometimes we get stuck in our Christianity and we only go here, we don't even go to the other places. And so is that something that you can do? Now, again, you see this over and over. People in the Bible had ideas of who they thought Jesus should be. And when he wasn't those things, 
they didn't put their trust in him. As they began to know more and more about Jesus, their trust level actually began to go the opposite direction because he wasn't conformed to what they thought the Messiah should be. Let me remind you of just a couple of them. Remember this phrase? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See that preconceived notion? What prophet really parties with sinners? Right? Is he really talking to that woman at the well? There's no way. And the list goes on to exemplify how we take what we know, create a mental picture, fill in the blanks, and then as we get to know God more and more, sometimes our trust goes down because he confronts some things in our lives. And we're like, no, 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 I'm just going to emphasize these aspects of our lives and not these aspects. I mean, how many people do you know who choose not to trust God or his words based on their experience with people who, who claim to be Christ followers, who claim to represent God? I can tell you in talking to non-Christians now more than ever, that one of the biggest reasons for not wanting to be a Christian are Christians who proclaim to be Christ followers and are exemplifying him. And they're like, you know what? If I have to vote politically that way, I'm not interested. I'm like, wait a minute, how did we associate that? And then we see this over and over and over, especially in a divided society, that we could actually say, you know what? It's not about the politics. It's not about the Constitution. It's about us understanding who Jesus is and then beginning to trust those words of his. It's easier said than done. But then we take a small step of trust. Do we listen with open ears? Read his word, ask questions. Jesus' disciples did the same thing. It's a journey that Jesus took them and anybody who wants to go on. He's not asking you to go from here to here on day one. He's asking you to go on a journey with him that as you get to know him, that this begins to follow as well. And I wanna invite you, whether you're watching online or you're here, that you would be willing to say, you know what, I have some preconceived notions and ideas or experiences based on what I think Jesus is or who Christianity is or what Christianity is or who God is, and I'm willing to give it another try. Seek God himself and see as you begin to know him whether you can trust him. And for all of us who do trust him, let's make sure we're not offended by truth. See, we're fine. We're fine with God's word as long as it as long as it applies to those people, right? You know, yeah, get them, God. Those dirty, rotten people—they need to hear the truth. But then, when He confronts my life and my lifestyle and what I'm doing, like, no, no, let's just focus on other passages. That's what we have a tendency to do. This is as old as time when it comes to not trusting God's word. In fact, in the beginning, you might remember the creation story. Adam and Eve, God tells them, you can enjoy anything that you want. Everything is for your enjoyment except for one thing. Don't eat from these trees. Just, just don't do that. Enjoy the rest of it. Well, what happened? Satan comes along in the form of a servant and says, what did God say? Okay, so, so you know God. What did he say? As you had to know, well, he said, if we eat the, the, the fruit from this, this tree, we're, we're going to die. He says, oh, no, you're not going to die. You're going to actually be made like God, which for them, their trust of God's word started going down and their trust of Satan's word started going up because it was what they wanted to hear. And so what happened? The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was also with her and he ate it too. 
And as followers of God, we've been doing it ever since. Wrestling with the knowing versus the trusting and then then relying. See, our rock, my foundation, your foundation, comes from our trusting of God, which trusting God actually helps us to navigate and work through our lack of trust with other people. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do we trust God and other people? We learn by listening and watching. We take a small step or steps of trust, and we're not easily offended by the truth. And if we have trust in relationships, the second question becomes, how do we sustain or increase trust? This one may be the most impactful of the three. See, when you love someone, and as you get to know someone, at some point you take a risk by saying something like this, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to trust you because love gives you the benefit of the doubt. Here's why that's important. Those of you who are married, when your spouse says one thing but does something else, when your boss says one thing and does something else. Love says, before I jump to conclusions, I'm going to consider other possibilities. I'm gonna wait and give them a chance to explain because I trust them. That just because we live in a cancel culture that says you make one mistake, I'm going to actually disown you relationally and create a wall that maybe when somebody makes a mistake that we actually give them an opportunity to apologize or go through a process that even though the trust may go up or down in that moment, we're not going to cut off relationship. Because that's the difference between the way society is pushing us and wanting to isolate and divide and to cancel, and we bring it into our homes, we bring it into our churches, we bring it into our neighborhoods, we bring it into our society. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse six and seven reminds us, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, love always trusts. Notice that? Love always hopes and always perseveres. See, trust feelings go out of the, come out of the qualities we choose to focus on. Trust feelings grow out of the qualities we choose to focus on. So for those of you who are married, it's probably safe to say that there is a spouse that lives in your house and there's a different spouse that lives in your head. Right? And I know some of you have had much longer conversations or arguments with the spouse in your head than the spouse in your house. And in fact, in those arguments, you always win. You know, we all, we all know that as well. So many relationships begin to sour because we stop trusting. That's what begins to happen in relationships. Have you noticed that when you don't trust someone that you start talking about their weaknesses way more than their strengths? But if you do trust someone, you talk more about their strengths than their weaknesses? Is it because that person doesn't have weaknesses? Is it because that person only has strengths and, and has no weaknesses? No, it's what we choose to focus on. And when we choose to focus in our marriage and in our friendships that have been around for a while, our trust goes up. But it can be very easy in a marriage relationship and others for us to begin to focus only on the negative and what you focus on is what you will see. And we see this all of the time. See, there are some things that we're gonna have to overlook for relationships to last over the long haul. And then you have to do something that needs to be addressed 
When we have to address something, we do in all relationships, make sure that it's something real and significant, which is why then we practice Ephesians 4.15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I can't believe I have to say this in a relationship sermon, but don't constantly dig at your spouse. Give it a rest. You know what the number one thing that makes a guy feel disrespected? Nagging. Men love me now, don't you? You love me now. I know, ladies, that you may not think that it's nagging or nitpicking. You think it's a suggestion just to awake him to the reality of the truth that obviously he does not see, but that's not how it comes across because you're consistently focusing on his flaws and how he's missing it and how he's not making the mark, and he goes from here down to here. And how do you know? Because all you receive is anger or stonewalling. Listen, guys, how often do you focus on what your wife is not doing or not doing well enough instead of the things that are going great? You've chosen to focus on how she is not doing the things. At some point, you've forgotten all the things that she's doing well. And I can tell you that there have been seasons in my marriage where I have failed at this. And I have caused Carolina great wounds because I have focused on the negative and on the weaknesses instead of the strengths. When we focus on the strengths in our relationships, especially in our marriage, our trust with one another goes up. When we focus solely on how we're not measuring up and how we're not you know, doing what we shouldn't do, which none of us measure up, all of us are imperfect, then our trust begins to go down in relationships. Trust feelings grow out of the qualities we choose to focus on. You know, there's a phenomenal example of this in the scriptures that has to do actually with friendship and not in marriage. In fact, we find it in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, is after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Well, Barnabas obviously agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left the believers, entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Both experienced the betrayal or being let down by John Mark. The difference between Paul and Barnabas was not what they knew about John Mark. The difference was in the qualities that each of them chose to focus on. Paul and Barnabas took the exact same information, the same situation, and Paul said, I can't trust him. And Barnabas says, I can, and he deserves another shot. See, Barnabas looks at all the good qualities, and maybe because John Mark was his cousin, he knew him a little bit better. And that could have played into the factor as well. Is there someone in your life, is there someone in our church that you have a tendency to focus on the negatives and focus below the line and refuse to see all the positives? See, I want you to sustain trust. Trust feelings grow out of the qualities we choose to focus on. In fact, we're gonna be even a little more transparent. Uh, this was not my idea. We had uh, our, our video uh, guide, uh, David, um, has had some issues relationally with a coworker, Drew, and they wanted to talk about this on camera as it pertained to them knowing and trusting and how they worked through some of these issues. 
Let's go ahead and hear from them now. Came on Seth, um, in 2012, uh, a few years after we came into the building, um, and I just really poured kind of my heart and soul into um, the tech that was going on here. A lot of my identity, um, you know, for five years prior to David coming on staff, uh, was built around kind of the work and the vision that I had. Then David was brought on as uh, my boss. Immediately, I felt the pushback. Yeah. <laughs> I would come downstairs and say, hey, can you make a, a change in the audio? Can you turn this down? I would turn it up. <laughs> I was uh, not receptive to that. It was, hey, this is this is my soundboard. This is my auditorium. This is my stage. I was just bitter towards him coming on staff and being placed over me. Ultimately, got to the point where I sat him down. I was like, hey, man, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'd love for you to be here, but I really need you to have a heart change. And I need you to just really pray about it this month. Um, you kind of need to decide whether or not you want to be here. To really have the uh, yeah, the heart change and then to be able to humbly come back to David and go, okay, like, I don't know what this looks like, um, but God has me here for a reason. God has you here for a reason. Uh, and I'm willing to, to work on this. So through that, um, we would have conflicts and then we would work them out. And so we started building trust. Um, there were still things that drove us nuts. We still, we still are polar opposites. That doesn't change, but we were able to work through it. And each time that would happen, we would build more and more trust. And we were able to define that we had a, a brotherhood more than just two guys that are working at the same place that are frustrated at each other. Immediately after we had, had that big conversation, I just felt like there was more of a response of like, okay, I don't know why you want that, but I trust you. Yeah, David would push me to change up how I mixed and how I listened to music and that sort of thing. David likes to confront, not just like tech issues or, you know, head on with things. Like he's in that in relationship too. It's like, hey, I'm not gonna let this sit and fester. I'm gonna sit here and bug you about it until uh, something changes. I think it's so important in relationships that um, you have to take time to get to know each other, to build trust. It doesn't just come um, without that. You have to go after it. You can't work together and have a giant wall in between you of not knowing each other uh, and still expect trust. You have to be able to break that down and have camaraderie so that you can then have conflicts. And through those conflicts, that's where trust is built. And I'm so thankful that we were able to, to have that. I'm thankful we had conflict and resolution. Isn't that awesome. Can we give it up, Ben? <clears throat> they just knew that this is a topic we're going to talk about, and they said, We want to share our story uh, as a benefit, not just to relationships and dating or marriage, but in friendships and co working environments and some of those things. And I'm just so proud of them for how they took the time to know each other and sit down. And over time, they learned how to trust one another and see instead of the worst, they started focusing on the best that each one could provide in this relationship. So how do we build trust with God and others? We learn by listening and watching. We take a small step or steps of trust. We're not easily offended by truth. And secondly, how do we sustain or increase trust? We trust feelings grow out of the qualities that we choose to focus on. And lastly, how do we rebuild trust when it's been broken? And I know that this may be some of the hardest part of what we're gonna talk about through this series. You have been hurt, you have been betrayed, you have been left, you have been abandoned, you have been abused. There have been so many things 
that has created so much pain in your life. And let me be the first one to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had to experience that kind of pain and that kind of suffering. And my hope for you is in that pain and suffering, not only would you find healing, but you'd find the courage and the strength to begin to try again with other relationships, with other people, so it doesn't hold you back for the rest of your life. See, one of the things that people ask is, will I ever rebuild and regain trust again? And so first, I want you to understand there is a significant difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. See, when somebody hurts us, we're supposed to forgive them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ forgave us while we were still sinners, while we were still separated by him. In fact, forgiveness from God is always available if we're willing to confess to him. We're the offending party. Sometimes we forget that. God has done nothing. We're the one that created issues between us and God, and he's the one that still offers forgiveness if we would confess our sins to him. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Or Hebrews 8, 12, and I'll forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Forgiveness is freely given. And for your sake, your healing sake, I've said this so many times, every time we talked about forgiveness, a lack of forgiveness on your part doesn't punish the other person, it only punishes you. A lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The only person who's dying is you. And so we offer forgiveness, but it doesn't mean reconciliation and trust back in the relationship. God's give us wisdom, and we should be cautious when trust has been broken. Uh, let me tell you just a, for instance on a little bit of a lighter note. You know, if you were to come to me, hey, Dan, I want to borrow you at your SUV. I want to I take it because I got some boxes I need to move. I'd be like, sure, no problem. Here's the keys. Have at it. And then you decide to take that, that for a four-wheeling expedition up roads that are not even roads, and you come back, and it's a broken axle, and there's dirt everywhere, that kind of stuff. Like, Dan, here's your keys back again. Will I forgive you? Yes. Will I beat you? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. But will I trust you again with my vehicle? No, that ain't gonna happen. Forgiveness needs to be given, even if not asked for over time for my sake and for your sake, but trust in these situations when it's been broken actually needs to be earned. See, Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So how do we rebuild how do we build after you've been forgiven for any hope? If you want to rebuild trust and you're the offending party, it takes a large level of humility and sacrifice for you to be able to submit yourself and say, what do I need to do to earn trust? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a couple where one person has had an affair you know, on the other person. And they said, you know what? We're willing to try to rebuild this. We're not willing to throw away everything. We want to try to make this happen. I said, okay, it's not going to be an easy journey, but it has happened in the, in the past where people have overcome this over time. But you need to understand it's going to take time, and you're going to have to do some things that you may not be comfortable with over time. And they look at me like, what's that? You need to submit to whatever the other person needs in order for them to feel the trust that they need for however long that they need in order for them to trust again. So they say, well, give me some examples. Well, it means you have no privacy anymore. 
So if they say, I wanna see your cell phone, you don't object. You tell them the codes. You give them all your email passwords. You give them your, 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 your uh, uh, Life360 app so they know you're, where you're at all the time. Isn't that a little crazy? It's whatever the other person needs. You've lost the right to call anybody crazy. So you're willing to do whatever it takes if you want that to be restored, which is a level of humility and sacrifice. And more often than not, over time, and it doesn't take long, the other person says, I'm tired of these restrictions. When are you gonna start trusting me again? And that just isn't right. It's up to the other person. Now, if you are the person who's been offended, if you are the person that has lost the trust in the relationship, at some point, you're gonna have to start trusting a little. And then a little. The other person is making the effort. You don't have to go to trust all the way to the top again. It's taking that next step and that next step and as you do that over time, you find healing and reconciliation that can take place, even with some of the hardest trust factors that you might have gone through. Here's the other thing I can tell you. Very hard apart from Christ. Very, very hard. If you don't have a source that's beyond you to get that comfort and you to get that security and trust factor, because Jesus promises he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He is there for us always. So how do we build trust with God and others? We learn by listening and watching. We take small steps or steps of trust. We're not easily offended by the truth. Secondly, how do we sustain or increase trust if we're in those relationships? Trust feelings grow out of the qualities we choose to focus on. And then how do we rebuild trust when it's broken? We forgive and but take cautious steps to trust again or we humble ourselves and sacrifice greatly to do whatever it takes for however long it takes. So as we close, take time to evaluate your trust of God and your trust with other people. I do know that there's some part of what we talked about today that God wants to instill in your life because again, he created relationships and he wants you to experience them the way that he designed. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn, to grow, and to become like you. I pray, Father, that you would lead, you'd guide, and direct our hearts and minds as you bring to our mind what it is that we need to focus on. Help us not just to walk out of here focused on what somebody else needs to do, but once again, may we examine you through your word and remind us through your spirit now what is it that you want us to focus on as it pertains to our trust of you and other people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.